From Smashing the Plateau, I'm David Schreiner-Khan with Going Solo. In this show, we discuss building your own successful business after a late career job loss. I had nothing to lose to take bold moves. I could be the ballsiest person and say things that most people or try things because I'm like, well, if this doesn't work, I never expected to be here anyway. I'll just go try something else. Today on episode 75 of Going Solo, I'm speaking with Carrie-Anne Fournier. Carrie-Anne's 25 plus years in the corporate world took an unexpected pause that led to a thriving consulting and coaching business. Stay with us to hear all the details. If you'd like to share your story on Going Solo, please get in touch with me at smashingtheplateau.com. Now let's welcome Carrie-Anne Fournier. Carrie-Anne is the CEO of Vibrant Ventures. She has over 25 years of experience on Wall Street in strategy and risk consulting and technology firms. She's a certified executive coach through IPEC, one of the preeminent coaching certification programs, and is passionate about unleashing everyone's highest selves, whether you're an aspiring leader or the CEO of a Fortune 250 company. She's a sought-after speaker on topics of team effectiveness, innovation, and building vibrant corporate cultures. Carrie-Anne has spoken at World at Work, Center for Effective Organizations, Marsh and McLennan, Bank of America, and Symbol Technologies. Carrie-Anne, welcome to the show. Oh, David, thank you so much for having me. Um, it's a pleasure to have you on and talk a little bit about your experiences and your background and your skills. And to start off, let's talk a little bit about the 25 plus years that you spent in the corporate world, which is a long time. And then you made a transition into your own business. Yes. Yeah, so it's funny because I, I wasn't one of these people that got their MBA or had a business degree. Believe it or not, I had a classical theater degree. I was at Northwestern. So you can take other classes. I'm probably to this day the only theater major that took physics and calculus. But, you know, I graduated, was actually working actress off Broadway and in London and realized I didn't, I didn't love the lifestyle. It wasn't sort of sequential success enough. And I fell butt backwards into Lehman Brothers at a junior analyst position through networking. And uh, that's a story in and of itself. And it's funny. So my 25 years, it kind of just happened. There's a lot of folks that are very intentional about their career and where they see themselves. And you know, mine has always been sort of milestone into next challenge, into next challenge, into next opportunity. And it wasn't until about, you know, 20, 21 years in that I really sort of, you know, life, we can get into this a little bit, sort of gave me a chance, a pause to say, wait a second, what kind of life do I want to create? What kind of business do I want to, when do I want to create? And so, you know, I'd done the Wall Street shuffle I'd worked for. I joke now the list of Wall Street firms I haven't worked for is probably smaller than the ones I have. But, you know, in many times I was like the global head of compensation running billions of dollars. At the time I was an equity derivative structurer. I've been in many turnaround situations, helping with HR strategy. And I joke, I was sort of the nerd in HR. I've sort of I think pretty successfully marriage, marry the um, right brain and left brain sides of myself. I'm pretty creative and linguistic, but I'm also very analytical and data oriented. And about eight years ago, um, I was at, I would say, my marquee corporate job, like the job that everybody aspires to. Um, I like to joke now I had you know, the big office and the big title and the big compensation. And I'll admit it, the big ego. 
And in many ways on the outside, my ego was very satiated. I was like, wow, this is what, this is the brass ring that people, people want. And, but on the inside, I was massive adrenal fatigue. I was working 80 plus hours a week, plus commuting on Long Island. That's easily four hours a day, two hours each way. And, you know, it was very difficult to kind of let the ego go. And the universe kind of did it for me. Um, I didn't know what was going on, but I got very ill. I had to go on disability and it took them about eight months to figure out I had very bad advanced Lyme disease. And while I was on disability, our CEO changed out in the large firm that I was with. And in many firms, they bring in their old team. So I got laid off while I was on disability. Nice. And yeah, that was just lovely. But you know what? Listen, I get it. I actually was at Marshall McLennan. I very much respect and admire the guys in there now. But he was building his own team. I wasn't even in there to have a conversation. So I get it. And then actually, it's one of those things I say often, you know, sometimes the hardest things that we go through is the universe meant to put us on a different path. And as, as much as they totally suck, I mean, I, there's no politer way to put it. You know, I, the older I've gotten, the more I have faith. It's somehow meant to disrupt myself and my assumptions and me in order to put me on a path that will more powerfully serve me. And it's not always pleasant, but it can be powerful. And so in the midst of all this, I actually also filed for divorce after 20 years. And so my life was upside down. I mean, completely upside down. And I just remember laying there one night and thinking all of the skills, all of the things that had made me wildly successful on the outside were likely going to put me in the grave. And I needed to do my life and who I was differently. I needed to create a different container for myself. And so I also joke nowadays that 10 years ago, I was probably the one making fun of people in the self-help aisle. I'm not proud to say, especially as an executive coach now, but you know, I was a really driven type A person and I just, I, you know, I just thought it sounded fluffy and I realized, well, maybe that was a little short-sighted. So I did a lot of um, personal development work, reading classes. I actually got certified in a year plus over a program to be an executive coach because I always love to mentor and inspire other folks. And, you know, I just am doing my life very differently these days. And so when I thought about what is the life I want to create? What is those parts of myself I want to bring forth? Um, I'd gone into a smaller corporate role for a, a while, and it was a turnaround situation when that ended. You know, I, I had a fork in the road and, you know, sort of the path less traveled. I knew what was down the path of a large corporate role. And, you know, my daughter was in middle school. All of the big roles that I was up for insisted in me being in the city five days a week. And if they were being nice, they said, oh, maybe we'll let you, you know, work remote one Friday once a month or something. And I was just very clear because of the work I had done, what was the life I wanted to build? And that was just wholly unacceptable to me. I believed that there was a way for me to create tremendous value as a consultant, as a compensation and total rewards expert, as a leader, as a mentor, and not give up my life. And so the path that became clear is I had to create it. And it was funny, it was my daughter at the time that basically called me out on it and said, Ma, you know, if you can't find it, create it. And so I, I did something very difficult and different for myself because I'm a strategist at heart. And I like thinking about all of the possible options 47 steps out. And I knew that I would never have the courage and know enough to really leap and start my own firm if I waited to have all the answers. And so what I said is, you know, it's what I talk with many of my clients about is I had a very strong starting hypothesis. Vibrant Ventures, the container was to unlock 
the potential and performance of the individuals, teams, and organizations with whom we partnered. We knew there would be a consulting arm to be more of the content strategist and the compensation expert. And, you know, as a deeply certified executive coach and those that I could employ under me, we had that side as well to give. And and we knew that that was how we were going to leap into the market, but we weren't sure how. Like, I know as the leader of this, I wasn't really sure how I was going to go about it. I had never done marketing and brand work before. I had never done sales and develop, you know, business development. And I just knew, okay, well, I'm going to have to figure it out. And I believed, you know, and I, when I talk with, particularly with women um, about their career development and navigating compensation um, negotiations, oftentimes we get a limited view of our worth because we think our worth is on what we know and our content expertise. And I, I try to really under, I like really magnify that our potential is our learning agility, our ability to leap into the chasm and to grow and to have faith that we have those capabilities to say, yeah, we're going to figure it out as we go. And so I said, well, I've got to you know, practice what I preach. And so I left and the last two and a half years have been a really incredible growth journey in not always the easiest conditions, as you can imagine. Things have been, it's kind of funny, just as I thought I was getting my sea legs on running my own business and what business development and sales look like and whatnot. As for everyone, I mean, life just changed back in March. I would say, though, there's a couple of very good things that came from that. Um, One is, the good news is because I hadn't been doing this for so long, I was wholly unattached, David, to only one way of doing business development or sales or figuring, cultivating strategic partnerships or whatnot. So there was really nothing off. I was sort of already primed to experiment. I'd say the second thing is, is because it was so natural for me, given my corporate background, to mostly focus on the consulting aspect of my business, even though I'm so incredibly passionate about the high performance and executive coaching portion of my business, it was a little bit undernurtured. And when COVID hit, not surprisingly, the consulting, much of the consulting paused for a bit, although it's starting to come back. But there was a huge space for the for the coaching. And I really had a chance to put my efforts there a bit, cultivate that aspect of the business. And there was a there's been a tremendous need because I think I work with very driven, high p- performing, high potential professionals, whether they're millennials or Gen Xers, they're up and coming subject matter experts or leaders. And I think many of them have been stressed beyond any point in their career right now because they just know there's too much at stake. There's too much at stake personally, professionally, if they don't get it right. And so for those who've maybe been on the fence about asking for the help, you know, employing an expert to help them powerfully navigate this, not just survive, but truly thrive, you know, the the circumstances kind of broke those barriers and and I've never been busier. And then my team on the the executive and coaching side, and even on the team side, because a lot of it, particularly when people went remote, has been a team effectiveness element. Um, I like to joke, mediocre to bad managers certainly didn't get any better when they went remote. And businesses are really feeling the impact of of teams that are not being um, effectively and powerfully led. So yeah, so it's been it's it's been a crazy journey. I mean, there's not a week that I don't expand and and learn something different about what it takes to be an entrepreneur. And some of that is because of the things I do right. Many times it's because of the things I'm not doing right. And you just have to constantly sort of self-evaluate yourself and say, okay, where do I need to pivot? Where do I need to do things differently? And yeah, so it's it's been it's been fascinating, especially in COVID land. 
Yeah, especially. Well, first of all, Carrie Ann, congratulations on everything you've achieved through a transition that for most people is extremely difficult. Becoming an entrepreneur, especially after a long career as an employee, is no walk in the park. Yeah, it's definitely different. I mean, the good news is I had a little bit of a taste when I was sort of recovering from my Lyme and going through the divorce and whatnot. I had the opportunity to be the COO of a startup tech company. And for me, it was transformative to see that there was a different work model than just going into one of these skyscraper buildings and just doing that sort of uh, that sort of rat wheel, you know, that rat race all the time. And it was still very intense and, and certainly very driven, but it was just a very different work model, um, an ecosystem of the people that you interacted with. And so for me, that really was a wonderful opportunity to plant the seed to say, huh, maybe there's maybe there's something else out there. And to be frank, I also saw, I think we all get this thought in our head that these entrepreneurs, everybody's getting it right. And there's, we just sort of project this perfectionism. And I saw some really good entrepreneurial leaders that were getting tons wrong. And I sort of joked, I'm like, well, I can get, I can be, you know, do, do at least do that. And they were really good at what they did, but they, you know, they were messing up the administration or they weren't a strategic, there was something that was, you know, of the portfolio of all the things that you need to do. It became apparent, you know, the ones that were leaning into the strengths, the ones that were smart enough to supplement the areas that they knew they weren't good at or had no interest in, the ones who had the blind spots and just insisted on trying to do everything to everyone and kind of failed. And I said, well, you know, I, I can, you know, I can at least do that, if not better. So, okay. You know, I think many times we all, we have this view in our head that, you know, everybody's going to come out of the gate and be this sort of, I don't know, perfect performer. And it's, it's a process. It's absolutely a process. Oh, it definitely is a process. I, I think, you know, one of the things that I think really differentiates entrepreneurs from employees actually is, is part of this mindset, which is for employees, you're expected to be right most of the time. And I think if you're, mm -hmm. if you're wrong more than 10% of the time as an employee, you are going to be reprimanded in some way. And as an entrepreneur, if you're right more than 10% of the time, you're usually doing really well. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I mean, and hopefully more than that. Uh, but, you know, but it is, it's, you know, it's funny, the language, um, because there's a lot of my clients and even friends who are kind of stuck and frozen, particularly when COVID happened, because they're very analytical and high-performing folks, and they, they make decisions based upon fact and information, and they're so unknown. There's so much unknown about the world and the economy and health that they just couldn't move. And so the shift in language is say, well, what's your starting hypothesis? What's your starting? And when the data suggests otherwise, you can pivot, you can adjust. But if they were so worried about getting it wrong or failing or something else, it's just these little shifts on how we frame this sort of learning cycle, you know, sort of opens up possibility for us to then explore in a way. So yeah, so it, it's been it's been really interesting. I know for me, even on the consulting side, it is kind of funny because I finally thought I got a pretty good sense on the pain points for my niche, my my market, and what my I you know maybe some uh, avatars and what my ideal clients might have looked like. And it, it's it, at some point you just have to laugh. I mean, as soon as I thought I figured it out, COVID hit and it, it pretty much changed. So I, I sort of liken it to parenthood. Just as you think you understand how to parent your child, they get to the next phase and. You just have to adapt and adjust. And so I think entrepreneurship is a bit like that as well, whether there's extreme environments like COVID or not, you're just in that constant uh, growth and evolution phase. And there's a lot of trial and error. 
Oh, absolutely. And it's not always about you. It's sometimes it's just the market shifts, you know, your client shifts, what they're interested in. I mean, you know, I mean, silliest thing, um, because I knew none of this a couple of years ago, but like you're trying to do marketing and branding and you're trying to figure out what the hashtags are. So people are seeing your stuff and then LinkedIn changes their algorithms. They change their rules. And all of a sudden you realize everything that, you know, why did your, you know, viewing rate drop, you know, into a quarter of what it was. Oh, it changed. I mean, silly things like that, where I like two or three years ago, I wouldn't have even known what that was. But listen, I, whether it's business coaching or personal coaching, transformation comes from filling in the gaps of what you don't know, you don't know. And then having a plan to like attack, you know, what's your highest ROI and effort? Like if I really focus on this, what is this going to, is this going to really move the dial? And yeah, so it's, it's kind of fun. Now, um, so David, I'm just curious, what was the, what was your motivation to become an entrepreneur? Oh, mine? Like what was, yeah, what was your catalyst? What was the aha moment for you? In my case, it was, um, it was many years of um, self-reflection on the fact that although I do well with structure, I don't like other people dictating the structure. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, that makes sense. It's funny, I think, because I think people go into entrepreneurship for different reasons. I do think more women go go into it because they realize the life that they want to create, corporate just will not. And I, you know what, here's the thing, though. I mean, as much as I love entrepreneurship, I do have a, a cautious, cautious optimism that some of the positive output output of COVID is a rethinking of what a productive work model looks like. Oh, big time. Big time. And that rather than sort of, and I, I, once again, I think there's a lot of women that went to entrepreneurship and their own solopreneur, you know, consulting types of businesses because, you know, just slogging into the office five days a week, being a nine to five or an eight to seven, you know, always on the clock with little flexibility just wasn't um, the right value proposition. And now I think things have changed a bit. And so it'll be, it'll be very interesting to see not just what, happens in the corporate arena, but to some degree, the, the entrepreneurial track for women, and I guess I'm, I don't want to just limit that for some men who felt that that was the only path available to them. Yeah. So yeah, it'll be, it'll, I'm always fascinated by these kind of sort of organizational psychology and business shifts. Me too. And Carrie, and I wanted to actually go a little deeper with um, something you were talking about before, which is this um, ability to figure things out. So coming out of all those years of the corporate culture, what does it take to have faith that you can figure out what you don't know in order to be able to achieve what it is you desire? Well, I think, you know, I think, and this is why it's funny. So I talk about this quite a bit when I coach women, particularly from a career or compensation perspective. And there's, and so it's a broad base, once again, I don't mean to be going so far far on gender, but it's meant to be illustrative. So there's a statistic that's been proven a number of times in different studies that most women will not go for a job unless they feel they're 90% qualified based upon what's on the job description, this random list of stuff that's sort of the, you know, kitchen sink of what an employer might want, where men will typically go for the job if it's 60% if they feel like they're 60% qualified. And the more I'd done the digging and I've done some research or read some research on, you know, girls also and where they lose their confidence and what's expected and how that affects their career trajectory. It's sort of this feeling that they need to be the senior knower, the most knower, where more times than not, certainly not always, 
many men are willing to take the jump because they're like, you know what? I'll figure it out. You know, jump off the jungle gym. Yeah. You sprain your ankle. Okay. You learn, you figure it out. No, you know, and so just even culturally, um, how society sometimes wires different groups of people to be more risk adverse uh, versus risk taking. I also think, I don't know, I, I think there's just sort of inherent confidence. It's once again of your capabilities, not your knowledge base. I think for me personally, I had survived so much, you know, not to go down a personal path. I've survived a lot in my life. So I kind of had this ballsiness, for lack of a better word, particularly on Wall Street, to say, well, this can't be any tougher than what I've already gone through. And to some degree, it was funny because I hadn't defined myself as someone who had thought, okay, my self-worth and my career was getting this job on Wall Street or in a strategy risk consulting firm or a particular like, job trajectory that for me, I had nothing to lose to take bold moves. I could be the ballsiest person and say things that most people or try things because I'm like, well, if this doesn't work, I never expected to be here anyway. I'll just go try something else. So, you know, certainly the older you get, you know, there's mortgages and college funds and all sorts of other things that sort of modify that a little bit. But I think it is also a bit of a natural wiring because you haven't, like, at least I didn't define myself any one way of what my life success was going to look like. So asking yourself, what's the worst that can happen? Yeah, what's the worst that can happen? I mean, and yeah, and like, yeah, even if it sounds bad, like, is it really that, like, unrecoverable? Like, you know, okay, so you you clash with your boss, you get laid off. Well, you know what, maybe it wasn't the right job to begin with, or maybe you guys weren't, I'm not to say to, you know, try and get yourself fired, but, you know, you make a mistake. You, like, there's just, even the things that sound like the worst possible outcome many times are very manageable. I don't know, I think we... I use a four box um, approach with many of my clients oftentimes. And so it's like, is something easy and hard is in high impact and low impact. And many times when we were sort of the emotion of a situation, everything feels hard and everything feels high impact. And so we feel the weight of that, the weight of the decision, the fear, the overwhelm. And when you really dissect it and you look at things, oftentimes it's not as hard as it looks or it's somewhere, or there's aspects of it that are easier and it's not as high impact. You know, it's not having that big of a, so when you can kind of dissect it a bit, it's not to not risk mitigate the things that are more challenging, but I don't know, it's just, it seems to be much more manageable Um, and you can take more calculated risks with, you know, your personal life or your professional life. Well said. Carrie Ann, now that you've been at it for a while and you seem to have generated success in particular in a very challenging year, what's your sweet spot? Who do you most like to serve? So constantly evolving, but certainly on the coaching side, I mean, I squarely play really well into the hard driving type A professionals. You know, I I sort of like to joke that they're the ones that typically think they're the smartest people in the room, maybe because there's some empathy there. I used to be this person, but you know, I just, there's an intellectual (laughs) edge and there's a pace of these folks that to be frank, I've, I've, I've worked around, I've lived around all my life and I feel not that there aren't a ton of great coaches out there who are amazing, but I think particularly with this ilk, they need to, it really helps them to feel they've got someone on the other side that knows what it's like with the pressure that they have, whether it's C-suite, you know, working with boards, having billions of dollars at stake and whatnot. And so although, you know, we don't necessarily go into the substantive aspects of their job, it's more mindset sometimes. You know, I've, I've been there, I've done that, if not exactly their job, certainly at a pretty 
high intense level. And so those individuals, and you know, they're, it's interesting too, in COVID, I w- and especially in this economic environment, I wouldn't have thought that there were as many people who, are, and I'm calling it the great pause, but they've used this great pause and whether they're millennials or Gen Xers, they're looking at their life and they're like, this is not what I thought I was creating. I'm stressed out or I'm, I'm not where I thought I'd be. And this just isn't enough. This isn't enough. And I, I thought this was the brass ring and it's not. And I need to start figuring out what my life should look like. Still hard driving. It doesn't mean that you have to like give everything up. But is there a way to construct a life that's more fulfilling, less stressful, more in keeping of the who they want to be while still being a successful person? I like to joke, there was a, there was a, a gentleman who I had started talking to and he was the quintessential. He was a really senior executive. And he's like, I just want to quit and open a bar on a beach. He's like, I'm just done. I'm sick of this. I just, I just want to go somewhere else and just, just do something chill. And I'm like, well, you know, let's just put it out there. Maybe that's a possibility, but let me just ask you a question. He's like, I'm like, if, if the beer distributor showed up 45 minutes late, what would your reaction be? And he's like, yeah, I'd be losing my mind and I'd be pissed off. And I'm like, well, you know, you know, you're just going to be a sunburnt, miserable asshole if you do that <laughs> or the miserable asshole where you are now. So I go, so like, why don't we work? And I, it was sort of a joke by then we had like sort of developed that kind of rapport. And I go, but let's let, you know, I'm, I'm totally supportive of you opening that bar and beach someday, especially if I get free drinks. But my guess is it would probably be better suited for you if we kind of work on your mindset and how you're processing things before we make big, bold career decisions. And, you know, not surprisingly, after working together for a while, you know, he realized there was a lot more that was in his control um, on how he was processing the stress of his leadership team and, and some other things. So, yeah, so it's, so those are definitely squarely in my, in my wheelhouse. And both, you know, women and men, you know, I really love to work with women to help them champion the career and the compensation that they, they really deserve. And it's one of those weird intersections of being a highly trained coach as well as a top compensation expert. You know, and I've, I've been on the other side of billions of dollars worth of comp discussions. And so I've seen oftentimes what has worked and what hasn't, and particularly sometimes what really undermines women in this process. And so it's an area I'm, I'm really, really passionate about. On the consulting side, you know, listen, I keep playing to my uh, my strength of deep technical expertise on compensation because for business owners or, you know, even corporations, usually compensation is one of the, if not the top expense for a company. And it's literally the investment in their people. And like, so oftentimes it's a really big pain point, whether it's the board or the C-suite or even the employees themselves who are really dissatisfied. And so there's a lot of different ways I can be brought into the conversation. Um, I particularly like to do uh, bonus design, equity design, because it's more like behavioral, um, being like a behavioral economist than it is the numbers person. It's the psychology behind this that I, I just find really fascinating. And I've worked with, I mean, smaller companies to fairly large nonprofit to, you know, mid-sized chemical companies law firms. I mean, it's kind of all over the map. It's really a leader that wants to sort of unlock the potential in this really large expense of their organization to see how it can best uh, fit moving them forward. So yeah, it's been, there's been different entry points since COVID on that conversation, because not surprisingly with, with things being a little upside down, how they look at this expense, you know, they're, they're trying to thread the needle between, you know, 
tightening, if not reducing expense, but still trying to keep motivation engagement. And so it's probably where my background of consulting or the comp consulting and the coaching together uh, probably powerfully serve because I'm a big proponent of talking about culture when you talk about compensation. And so as much as I'm the numbers quant person in HR, uh, I've got a very strong change chaser, if you will, on the culture and behavioral aspect of it. Yeah. And it's certainly a remarkable and unique set of skills. Yeah, it's it's definitely different. That's for sure. But I think that's why I play well in, in those circumstances. So yeah, Carrie, and your experience can certainly give others reassurance that they can achieve much more of what can be truly rewarding for them. If somebody wants to go deeper with what you've shared today or to learn more or access any resources you have, where's the best place for them to go? Sure. So first and foremost, my website's got a lot of resources. There are videos. There's a couple of free downloadables um, in there with exercises and other things. So strongly recommend. I believe the link will be in the um, in the show notes, but it's www.vibrant.com. It's spelled a little differently. It's V-Y-B-R-A-N-T-E. And the reason I spelled the company that way isn't because I'm a bad speller. It's because the initial premise was to unlock individual team and organizational vibrancy. You have to understand your why. You have to understand where you're going. And then at the end, it's about your E factor, your energy. It's your mindset that really sets you powerfully up to either be successful or stressed out. And so that frame of reference really is one of the major tools I work use. Carrion at Vibrant. So it's K-E-R-R-I-A-N. Spelt a little differently too, but I blame that one on my mother. Uh, yeah. And you know, I'm on LinkedIn, Carrion Fournier, all the various social media platforms that we all must be on. Although I have to admit, I don't really use Twitter for whatever reason. I never quite got behind that, but I'd say most profoundly I use LinkedIn as my go-to. Which is a good platform. Yeah. It's the, you know, listen, it's, it's, it's squarely where my, um, clients reside. So it makes sense for me to put my most of my efforts there. Well, Carrie Ann, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to join us today on Going Solo and share your experiences and your great insights. My guest today has been the CEO of Vibrant Ventures, Carrie Ann Fournier. Thank you again, Carrie Ann, for joining us. Oh, my pleasure, David. Thanks so much for having me. When you visit the Going Solo website, you'll find a summary of each episode along with the links we mentioned on the show. Today, we learned how you can have faith to figure out what you don't know so that you can achieve what will be truly rewarding to you and much more. If you'd like to share your story on Going Solo, please get in touch with me at smashingtheplateau.com. Remember to subscribe on whatever platform you listen on and leave a review if you can. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. I'll see you on our next episode.